Kyle Lacey has spray painted, in his estimation, close to 1,000 golden llamas. Now, these are small, trophy-sized llamas, just to be clear. But what started as a way to recognize the internal team at Lessonly for exemplifying the qualities of their vision has grown into a way to rally a passionate community around that vision too. See, they send these llamas to prospects and customers, and while it can't always be measured, it's helped in their efforts to build relationships, schedule meetings, and even move up market. A llama. This is just one of the few things the team at Lessonly has done over the years, they've also launched a board game recently, to not only build a great product, but a community that both supports and spreads it too. And when you know your community as well as your own team, these are easier bets to make. But, like anything else you build from the ground up, this only comes with time, experience, and for Kyle, maybe even a bout of imposter syndrome. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. So you're coming up on three years now at Lessonly. So I'm curious, coming in to a role like that, what did the marketing team, like what did the function look like? Because Lessonly has been around since, what, 2012 they were founded? Yeah, yeah, 2012. So they, did they have some sort of marketing function when you came in the, almost three years ago? Yeah, it was actually uh, pretty well built out. We had a very strong marketing team. The third employee was our director of marketing at the time, Mitch Kazi. And it was a fairly built out team. I, and I think, you know, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but I think fundamentally, I, I haven't changed the team structure that that uh, drastically, at least on the brand and demand side since I joined. So the third hire was a director of marketing? Yeah, it's good yeah. When that when marketing is 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 valued like that early on, right? Um, so, what what would you say? Like, sh- tell us about what you think the biggest challenges were coming into that role at the time. Um, like, where Lessonly was in terms of marketing, uh, what you were trying to do, and s- sort of like what were the biggest challenges uh, inherent mm-hmm. to those projects. Well, I, I, I think number one, it's it, it was a challenge for me personally. I think a lot of us deal with imposter syndrome, and I think anybody that's a high-functioning individual does. And it was the first marketing leadership role for me at a company that was part of the portfolio of the venture capital firm I worked for in Boston, OpenView. So a lot of imposter syndrome. I had to I had to spend a lot of time working on me as a leader to fully believe that the idea that I could do it. Right. And I, and I don't think a lot of people say that, but I know a lot of people think it right. So number one challenge was getting over my own bullshit. Right. And, (laughs) and being able to, to lead in a way that I felt was valuable. Number two was, I'm sorry. I didn't go ahead. Go ahead. Number two was the, um, we, we did, we did have a challenge on the, on the top of funnel for outbound SDRs and decided about a year ago to move the SDR team, the uh, the outbound sales team under marketing, which is a little bit different um, for a lot of people, a lot of companies, right? And we just decided that most of the top of funnel should be united under marketing 
because we were focused more on process development and the experience of a prospect. So it made sense to, to throw a somewhat struggling team under the marketing org. Um, and that was a challenge. And there's a lot of, I mean, I could, I could talk for an hour on just what we learned there. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, before I get into the more personal side, so the SDR is reporting under marketing. How does that work in terms of like career path and career growth? Like SDRs are typically right. Like as you, yep. as you alluded to under sales. So how, how do you, how do you work that out? Career path the same. They, um, they can choose two routes. They can go account executive route or they can go a more operations focused sales role that could be like customer marketing, field marketing, couple other things um and if they don't like that route then we we of course uh encourage them to look into implementation and services and sol- solutions consulting and all the other orgs that we have teams that we have but it's it's a dotted line to sales it's just that um the sdr managers report to me so that was one of the first projects you took on so is, was it something you felt strongly about was it something that the current team had been toying with and you sort of just led the charge on uh, why move SDR the SDR function under marketing as, as one of your first priorities coming in it, well to be fair it wasn't this was this was about a year and a half into the role it wasn't the first initiative sure it was just that I think I think any leader um, you've got to get especially the high growth venture back software company you know this as well as i do you have to be constantly trying to find things that are broken and make sure that you balance the successes with all the challenges right in order to lead a functional team um or a functioning team so i just saw that the process was broken and it's something that as the marketing leader i wanted to make sure that i owned that challenge because top of funnel is very important sure um, to us. And it just made sense. It made sense that sales was figuring out their own stuff. And we, we had the capacity to figure out the top of funnel. Right. Right. Um, and I want to get into your, your quote unquote bullshit, as you said. Uh, so you, it, it, it's, it's interesting to me because you came from open view, as you mentioned, and Lessonly yeah. was a portfolio company. So you came in with, with a lot of context, right. Already of, of who Lessonly yeah. was, um, you obviously had some people in your network at OpenView that maybe you could talk with about, uh, you know, what they knew about it. So, um, and, and you, you mentioned something I think many people feel, but few talk about is the imposter syndrome coming into the role, um, and how you hadn't had a marketing leadership role before. What, uh, what helped you through that? Man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be through it. I think that I <laughs> think that any, that's the real yeah, I, I honestly, I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have imposter syndrome. I think there can be a very negative side of it. But for me, it's if you're a high performing individual that is constantly changing, like Scott Maxwell, who's the founder of OpenView, I've learned many things from him. But the number one thing was continuous rapid improvement is one of the most important things you can do as a company or as a person. And anybody that is improving rapidly is going to have imposter syndrome because you're going to be trying new things all the time. And so for me, it was it was more about getting the wins, um, the initial wins under my belt to say, you know what, um, I can do this, and it, and it is a I am good at it, and um, it helps with that ego side of the imposter syndrome, but. 
I'm always going to take on new challenges. So I feel like I'm always going to have it. Right. What were some of the things you think early on that helped, uh, helped you through that? Like you, you mentioned some big wins. Uh, are, are there any specific projects you remember or initiatives that you, you took on that, that sort of helped not just you, but, but the team sort of even find its groove as you went along? Yeah. I mean, we had th- three or four major projects where our use our first user conference, it was my first board meeting and Scott, Scott Dorsey, who is CEO of exact target that now runs high alpha, which is a venture capital firm in, in Indianapolis that invested in Leslie. He, he, uh, he said, you should do a conference. And I said, just said yes, without even thinking about <laughs> and, and what, what everything involved. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we did it and it was huge and we had, it was amazing and the experience was great. And I had my second child, we, my wife and I had our second child two weeks before the conference and I didn't even go to it. Um, my <laughs> team ran it extremely, um, like I didn't even, I didn't even, I was texting them, but that was it. And right. it was smooth and it was successful. And you know that when you've put a team in place and a lot of them were already here, which I think I was lucky. Um, when you put a team in place that can do that and do it in a way that is meaningful, then then you are starting to win, right? So we had the user conference where we completely redesigned our website in-house in six weeks. And that our revenue, inbound revenue went up pretty drastically. We had our, our CEO wrote a book over a year and a half and we launched that. And it's beautiful and it's, it's well-read. And so it's just been major projects that I think with all the little things that you have to do underneath it to make sure that you maintain the business that led to wins where we were like, you know what, we are damn good at this. We're going to continue to be good at it. Um, and that helped. What do you, what was working early on when you first got there in terms of acquisition, in terms of growth and has that changed at all in, you know, roughly three years? Yeah, we, um, Mitch Causey, who I, who I talked about before, which was the first marketing hire, like the third employee, he spent five years building an organic search strategy that still is a huge portion of our right. inbound revenue. So that hasn't changed. What has changed is that we have got we have moved up market as a company. So we have a commercial business that has been around for six years, but we have this enterprise business that is new. And there's a lot of new people, a lot of new processes. You know, you got it. You can't. This is not like a 60, 90 day sales cycle. You have to build an account plan. You've got a completely different prospecting rhythm with SDRs. Right. Um, you got to debate on whether or not you need analysts and all this stuff. Right. That, that everybody talks about. Um, and it's completely different. And that's that's pretty much a lot of the commercial side of it. I didn't have to change. But up market, we are changing. We are changing our entire go to market. And when I say up market, I mean enterprise, which seems like a natural fit. I know, like for many SaaS companies, the the journey because of the cost structures that they need to support naturally take a lot of SaaS companies up market. But for yeah. lessonly, the bigger the team, the more the more training seems necessary, right? And then the more yep. uh, the bigger impact uh, training could have on yep. a team. Although, yeah, it's either it's either large companies or it's high it's high it's high it's high growth companies, right? right that we're targeting. Um, and it just made sense. And, you know, you either you either lead the MailChimp route where you are product led and you're just it's a volume or HubSpot MailChimp route or you go the exact target route, which is, you know, 
sales, go to market, the Salesforce model, and you win huge deals. And, and uh, lessonly, because of our board, because of our history, because of who works here, it just made sense for us to move in that direction. Right. So in addition to the content and organic engine that it seems uh, the, uh, the team had built over time, customer marketing, SDR sales function, all that thing, those have become even more important, it sounds like, maybe in the last couple of years, right? Since, yep. since, you, since you came on board. Um, something that I think just from being even a casual observer of Lessonly, that it seems like it, 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 you do a really good job of and it's, it's very strong is, is just the overall brand and, and the llama culture. Um, Lessonly launched a board game, which is interesting, right? Especially <laughs> when you're talking about moving up market. All right, guys, let's launch a board game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I guess talk about the, I don't want to say importance of brand because we know how important it is, but how does Lessonly's, how, how is Lessonly's vision tied into, uh, you know, the overall, um, you know, do better work, the, the book that mm-hmm. you mentioned that, that, uh, the founder of Lessonly written, re- uh, wrote recently, uh, llama culture, the board games, like how does the vision of the company tie into all of these, uh, brand plays that Lessonly seems to do a really good job of? Well, it starts It starts from the beginning on our mission, which is we help people do better work so they can live better lives. And we got very lucky. You know, we have 150 people now. Every single one of us are very lucky that Max and Connor decided to make that the mission, right? Because it is there is so much content in there that you can use and there's so you can visualize so much with helping people do better work so they can live better lives. And the fact that we have training software to help people do their best work, there you you now it's just about doubling down on the story, right? And when you're in a feature war, which all of us are if we're in software, mm-hmm. everybody has the same features. I don't care who you are, the story and the messaging and the ideas and the values of the company need to be forefront, right? And they they are your competitive differentiator unless you're in the AI world where you're just making shit up, right? And you're you're trying to build software that nobody else has. Um and that's for lessonly our we got very lucky that the values that Max put in place and the mission that that he wrote from the very beginning has sustained us through our growth and has built a culture that our customers are also involved in. And I think that that's probably when you talk about our competitive advantage it's the community around the do better work model that that makes sense. So you have a mission statement, you have the story, you have the values of the company that is ingrained in the employees. And then you mix that with creativity, like golden llama. Like we have a Lego llama that we're giving out our user conference. We have the board game and it's just from a marketing leadership perspective, it's just about saying, I don't care what we do. You are extremely creative as a team. Let's come up with something that will get somebody's attention. And a board game gets people's attention because it's very well done and it's usable. And what's, what's the golden llama? Isn't that something you, the team mails out, right? Yeah. So we, we give a golden. So this was the start of the do better work model for us. We give a golden llama out to an employee every quarter that, that exhibits our values. And my, and a director of marketing on my team, Ben Battaglia said, why don't we send golden llamas to prospects and customers? So the whole point is that it doesn't sell lessonly at all. I've spray painted about a thousand golden llamas. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely, I I might have cancer. However, uh, (laughs) now we, now we mass produce them, but, um, it was basically saying, Hey, um, here, 
I want you to give this golden llama to an employee. So in a sales cycle, if we have a champion, we send the golden llama to their boss and their boss gives it to the champion. And it's only just to say, whoever exhibits the values of your company, we want you to knight them the golden llama. And it has nothing to do with lesson length. And it has worked unbelievably well because it is a culture play. It's not a, we're going to increase your productivity by X percent because ultimately that's a, that's a byproduct of buying, of buying our software. Right. And when you say it's worked incredibly well, in, in what way? Open doors, more meetings, um, people posting about giving their golden right. llama, tweeting free it, publicity, right. tweeting. Like it's, there's a point where as a marketing leader, I have to say, you know what? If we do a retro and we feel like the campaign went really well because a bunch of people were happy, I, I'm okay with that. I don't need to see... Now, Golden Llama, we have influenced a lot of pipe, mm. but some of our brand plays that we've done, I can't say they have they have generated net new business, but right. I can say... It's not say, a straight line, right. Yeah, I can say that they influenced a lot, right? Like the, cook, the custom cookies that we send after a demo, like stuff like that. Right. You can, yeah, you can read the signals on that at times if you get letters or if you get... Uh, yeah. you know, the, like you said, the tweets and, and sort of that word of mouth component is definitely a signal, but it's hard to draw a straight line. Um, where did the llama come from? Just the llama as a representation of, of the brand. Like you have the board game, like you said, you have the golden yeah. llamas that you've spray painted, maybe a thousand of, where did that come from? It was, uh, it was a random drawing on one of the chalkboards at the original office that the, that Max and Connor didn't want. And Mitch Kazi was like, I think we should keep it. And eventually it turned into like, it seriously, it was like one, I think somebody, one of their wives drew it on the board, on the chalkboard. And it just kept coming back, kept coming back. And eventually Mitch and a couple other people turned it into Ali Lama. And then, um, Ali Lama, that's his name. Yeah. Ollie. <laughs> and then, and then and it kind of lived under the radar a little bit. And when I got here, we just doubled down on it and we got lucky that llamas started becoming culturally relevant with like targets or release not culturally in terms of, but, um, pop culture, it started becoming popular. So target rolled a bunch of llama stuff out and it just got cool to have llama gear. So we just got lucky that all of it met together in the same place. So Ollie has been around for a while and, and he is part of the company. He's on the website and everything. <laughs> how does the, uh, and how, how does the board game like the play into, sort of that nurturing component is, is, it, is it similar to the golden llama like you like you said you sent it out to prospects yeah. or how does the board game play in into that into that same function so d there's two parts of do better work there's the do better work relational skills which is max's book about mm -hmm. leadership and and our values and then there's the operational side of it which is our do better work training method which is six pillars i'm not going to get into detail but it's how we build our product it's how we train our customers. It's how we believe customers should run a great onboarding or enablement program. Sure. And Llama Land has six parts of the Llama world, which is all six of our pillars. And then we made a customer service specific one. We made a sales one and we made a general one. So it's walking people through um, our better work method in a way that's creative, but also having a categories type model where we're asking you know it's fun you're asking questions about how long do you think it, it it how many calls should you make to get one demo if you're doing cold calling and stuff like that and is this so uh, are customers asking for this 
because uh, I saw I, I saw the video of it, uh, your whole team playing it, right? Uh, yeah, no, they they uh, we've been wanting to do a board game, and we just decided that now's the time to do it. There's no, <laughs> there was no um, signal, right? But we do a lot of direct mail, and I'm not going to send a tumbler, right? Like <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna spend twenty twenty five bucks on something. Like make it something that somebody will open. I'm gonna send a stress ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't need another pen or T-shirt, right? So, it's it's about creating 3D experiences that matter, and this is something that puts teamwork together because you're playing a board game, but also um, kind of exhibits our values as a company. Is a direct mail uh, more effective uh, upmarket on the on the enterprise side, or do you find that that's it? It doesn't really matter. You're you're getting a response uh, across the board. I, I would like to say it is, but the hardest part about enterprise is that is the addresses, you know, somebody might work in Raleigh and works for Adobe. We have no idea what office they work at. Right. Right. So it's, it's harder, but overall the direct mail is what drives a lot of our, it's not net new. I want to be clear. We don't use direct mail to get in the door. It's mostly a sales cycle nurture campaign where if you have a champion, you have the boss or you have a team you need to bring together because you need the sales rep or the sales leader to buy and the customer service leader to buy, we bring them together with direct mail. And it's how, usually more of a nurturing process. How long is a typical uh, sales, sales cycle? Commercial, it's uh, 60 to 90 days. Enterprise, we, have, we, don't, we don't know. Right. I mean, it could be. Um, you know, 180 days, right? On right. average, and so these things come into play, you know, at the at the beginning or middle of the engagement, really. Yeah, yeah, or or throughout the entire engagement, we we are very hands on with our marketing and the sales cycle. Right. You know, if somebody if they're really hot and they're not like returning calls, we are working with the AE to do a custom video that we're sending them or a custom mailer. Um, and that helps open up the door. Yeah, I like yeah. How, how you've tied in, uh, the brand plays with, with the sort of the direct sales side. Um, yeah. uh, like you said, it, it, it could make, you know, seeing those signals a little easier, um, even though there's never a straight line, but, uh, I, I like how you, you've tied that in. Um, are you cool for a couple more minutes too, by the way? To ask you yeah, I've you. got, I've got a couple more. Okay. Let me just mark the, I'll get into the three up, three down. Um, so what do you think over the, over the, over your tenure at Lessonly past, uh, almost three years, what are the three decisions that you think have had the biggest impact on growth? Uh, number one was our user conference, which we did, which we talked about before. Um, that was fundamental in our transition as, as in our growth as a company. Why? Um, Why? Uh, it was the first time that we brought all of our customers together with our employees. And, you know, I was getting emails like you have great software, but you help me be a better man. Like you can't, you can't put money on that. It's like you're, you're creating a community of people that love what you do and love doing it with you. Right. So that, that helped us move from like, Hey, we're a little startup in indie to like, Hey, now we're a market leader. Um, redesigning our website. Um, we took off all of our forms except our demo form and we conversion rate went up 
significantly and we didn't worry about BS leads, right? Like full that, conversational uh, mode uh, using? Uh, not even conversational mode. It was just like, if you're interested, you're going to fill out a demo request. We're just now getting into optimizing like the drift model. Sure. Um, which we, we just moved from intercom to drift and we're working on that. Um, and then the third one's probably the do better work movement, which we're calling it, which is the combination of the training method and Max's book. And when you are starting to get companies asking to pay for your CEO to do a leadership track for them, for their leaders, you know that you've hit on something that's valuable, even if it's not, even if it's not training software, it's like, if we can, if we can use our model, if our competitors start using our model, we've won. Right. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah. so that's kind of, I'd say those are the three that are, that have been the biggest hits because it's just, it's, it's about a, a maturing of the company. Anything that you would do differently now, knowing what you know now, probably a lot of things, right? But, uh, yeah, I, so we've gotten really, as a company, we've gotten really good at focusing. I think that I would have liked to do that earlier on. Um, you know, the second thing would probably be spending more time and energy on processes within the team. We, we are, mm. we are good at it, but I tend to, I tend to get really passionate about a certain project management tool or a certain process around project plans. And then it ebbs my, my, um, energy ebbs and flows. And I think having more consistency as a leader would be, um, would be better. And then the third thing is moving the SCR team under marketing sooner. Right. Yeah. That could be a win. And yeah, something you, you learn differently. Uh, well, those are great. Uh, this has been, this has been a really good conversation, Kyle. Uh, the, yeah, the lesson, the lesson, the story is, is an interesting one. And, and, uh, Thanks for, for jumping on and, and sharing the, uh, the behind the scenes of llama culture. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.